You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coaches, welcome to episode 82 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. I am your host, Chrissy Beltran, and I am excited about this episode today because this is a little bit of a different approach that I think might be really supportive of a lot of us doing coaching work. Today we're talking to Gretchen Richards of Always a Lesson, and what we're going to talk about is how we can use rubrics to guide our feedback with teachers and our work with teachers. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I feel like sometimes whenever we communicate with teachers, we're not sure what feedback to provide. We maybe struggle to figure out something to focus on, and it can be difficult to really narrow down our feedback to be precise enough to where it's supportive of teachers in in growing and in doing their work. And also, uh, sometimes teachers don't know what we're looking for. So that can be really overwhelming and frustrating, and it can feel like you're just nitpicking. So I'm really looking forward to talking about using rubrics to guide that work, because I feel like if everybody's on the same page and kind of knows what we're looking for in the lesson or in the work that you're doing together, it's going to be so much more supportive of having those authentic conversations and dialogues about what's happening in the teaching and how it's effective for students. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome Gretchen to the podcast. So welcome to the podcast today, Gretchen. Thank you so much for having me again. I love chatting with you all things coaching. So this is like the bright spot of my day. Oh, good. It's it's recording episodes is the bright spot of my day too, because I love to talk shop. And when you're not tied to a school anymore, there are not, there are not people like captive audience people that you can go harass. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. So can you introduce yourself to our listeners? And like you said, you've been on here before, but maybe update us with anything new since your last chat here on the podcast from last season or just anything we should know about the work that you do. Yeah, I have been busy being a mama, but also being an educator at the same time, which is hard and add on coronavirus on top of that. (laughs) That's been a little crazy, but I do my best to support teachers through the blog and the Empowering Educators podcast, any resources I can put out there on Teachers Be Teachers, but I've been working really closely. Um, I know you work very closely in your membership, so I've got something similar to that with the mastermind with some teacher leaders, and they are struggling to help teachers in the way that they thought it was going to be, or at least how they were hired or how things were outlined. And I think that's a mental game. You know, when you go into an opportunity and you're all excited for hands-on coaching and then that's stripped of you and people want you to be tech support and, and, you know, or they just don't, they can't even conceive how you can help them. Right. It's, it's frustrating. So I think this year has taught me for both helping teachers and teacher leaders the emotional piece of getting through a year where there are obstacles that you didn't see coming is just as important as the instructional stuff that we're going to get into later today. Mm -hmm. But if that emotional piece is not taken care of, if they don't feel like they can take a breath and that you're there to help, whether that means you make copies or you set up a zoom or whatever, then they can't even think about how you can help them with their lessons. So it's Mm -hmm. been a lot of let's do some mindset work to help you be successful, to help teachers. And, and we're getting there. We're getting some momentum now. 
that's a really good point because I feel like that's a little bit of a leap that you have to make even in a normal coaching situation, whatever that is, <laughs> um, because you have to say, you envision helping teachers who are a lot like yourself. So you move from the classroom where you pretty much saw yourself teach and you know how you do yeah. business and maybe you communicate about teaching, but you don't watch a lot of people teach when you're a classroom teacher for the most part, which is actually a huge shortcoming of our educational system that we don't make more time for that. So yeah. then whenever you move into the coaching position and you see different kinds of people and different kinds of teachers and you're just like blindsided at how unexpected that is and how yeah. that is not at all what you thought you were going to be met with. Mm -hmm. That's a huge leap. And then on top of it, this past year, people have dealt with so much, um, like you're talking about the technology and virtual teaching and virtual coaching and so many changes and teachers have been just underwater with overwhelm mm -hmm. that it can be hard to, to like dare to coach, like to get in there and, and, and <laughs> yes. offer, offer your services. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So it's just, it's a huge ask that we ask coaches to just jump in. <laughs> and I think, I mean, I, I talk about this all the time about lack of support. This is certainly a year where there is no training to help teachers teach through a pandemic. There's no training for coaches to learn how to lead people during a pandemic. And we were talking a little bit before the show about helplessness. And this is how it kind of feels like we're all just trying to piecemeal together our strategy and it is the best that we can do right now for kids and I think there's some guilt there right but I think the more we can just continue saying I'm gonna show up it's a new day I'm gonna keep problem-solving until I can find something that works and that's effective then right. that is you know what's best for everybody right now and give yourself some grace mm hmm yeah a focus on being real and and problem-solving and working with what we've got that's really all we can do ever yeah. um, especially in high-stress situations like this one yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that we're going to talk about today is this idea of providing feedback after a classroom visit, you know, during a coaching cycle, and that can be a really stressful thing for coaches. It's stressful for the receiving, on the receiving end too sometimes. Um, but for coaches, it's hard to know, you know, how do I do this? What, what should I, where should I start? What structure should I use? Why do you think this is so stressful for coaches to provide feedback after a, um, a visit to a classroom? Well, I think, I'm sorry, I'm flipping through pages because I've got my little resource here that literally is my Bible. But I, without structure to what you're doing, I think that's where some of the anxiety starts. Mm -hmm. So if someone says, hey, just go observe a teacher, even there right then, if there is not a, what are you looking for? What have you previously been talking about or working on? Um, how do you plan to do the observation? Are you scripting all the words that are being used? Are you just pulling mm -hmm. out? student observations, like what is it exactly? What's the game plan? What's the strategy? What's, what's the template we're using? Um, and I think that's the first trip up is that we don't have the system to do the observation. Then after the observation, we're scrambling, trying to decide, do we leave a feedback slip that just is like, here's a glow and a grow. Is this a formal debrief conversation in which I have to like talk to you about the observation? And again, if there's no structure in place for that, you could be there 30 minutes to an hour and a half, depending on how the flow of the conversation goes. So again, if there's no structure in place, that's a hiccup. But there's also this missing piece about getting the teacher prepped to come in because my biggest mistake when I was doing a debrief, I would do all the legwork. I watched the video that I had, I thought back through my notes, I circled, highlighted, I made ideas of here's a category of things we can focus on, here would be next steps. I mean, I was doing all this stuff and mm -hmm. that was very helpful to the teacher. But 
did that teacher ever progress as fast and as far as they could have? No, because they were not involved in the process of changing. Mm -hmm. They showed up to the conversation doing no homework. I was leading it and doing all that thinking. So what was really frustrating is the results weren't there and that affects kids. So what I started doing was inserting a teacher reflection in between when I saw them last and when we're going to sit and hash it out. And that one change helped shift the cognitive load to them to being able to say, okay, I had some thoughts and here's what I'm thinking. Awesome. I can guide the conversation. Let's look at the rubric of performance for the district and let's think about your last goal. I can help steer the conversation. But if you're bringing something to the table, that lets me know a lot about you, mm -hmm. a lot about what your own goals are, what, why you tripped up where you did. Um, and so I think that's really essential. But I think the, uh, to get to your, the answer to your question about why feedback kind of makes people a little anxious and unsure of how to do it, is there just isn't a system or a structure in place provided by the administrator for you to feel good about what does this look like? And before I ever gave any observations, I sat with the staff and said, hey, here's what it's gonna look like. Because as you know, even with kids, if you put an agenda on the board for how the lesson is gonna go, they feel so much better mm -hmm. about the lesson. They know what's expected. They feel safe in how it's all gonna go down. And same thing with the teacher. Hey, I'm gonna observe you and then we're gonna have a conversation about it. And then this is the next 12 steps, you know, but if they get the email, like come to my room at 1230, they're like, oh, did you get the email? Did, did they always yeah. meet with me out here? You know, and it's like this big thing. So we have to set expectations for what the process is beforehand and then walk them through and keep consistent with that same process for everybody. And the more we can put the ownership on the teacher to do that homework prior to really meeting with us, mm -hmm. that's where the real change happens because they're starting to realize where they want to tweak their own performance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we want to build that self-reflection and absolutely. And if we're not giving them the opportunities to do that, um, I, you know, that's something that I know personality wise, I struggle with that I have to always be aware of because I'm sort of a, all right, well, what do we need to do? Let's get it done. I'll just do it myself. And you know, <laughs> yeah. yes, exactly. and so we have to be aware of, of how that can impact those coaching relationships. Um, I talked in episode 58, I had a conversation with Aaron Kotman about that, about creating that culture of feedback and that uh, yeah. if we are not, you know, receiving feedback and giving feedback and having people reflect about everything, then, then it is always driven by us and what our opinion is on what we're seeing. And that's not really yeah. an effective, um, we're not going to really move people that way. Like you're saying. Yeah. So I think sometimes I think we're adding to our own stress level with feedback, um, with all the mind <laughs> games that we play with ourselves. I know I do this, um, for sure. Like I know sometimes I'll role play in the car while I'm driving to work, um, about how the conversation can go or certain things that I want to say that I want to make sure I say them very clearly and, and purposefully. And while it can be helpful to rehearse, and I do think that's a good strategy sometimes, it can also mm -hmm. be really stressful because we kind of, um, catastrophize. <laughs> right. Uh, so what do you think about, about that? Has that been experience that you've had as well? I like that you're role playing. And I used to do that as a teacher for just a mini lesson. Like anytime I was, had to be on and wanted it to, to go really well, I would practice. I think that's a, a great skill anytime that you're going to be mm -hmm. influencing somebody else. So I like that. Um, in terms of my own background of, of giving feedback and feeling comfortable and having that debrief conversation, I take out words like I and like, 
And that is a bigger, big trigger. And I help teachers with that, teacher leaders all the time with that. And I said, now you've turned it into an opinion. Now they're trying to appease you. It has nothing to do with you. What you, you, know, like. you should be, right. You should be able to be removed from the situation mm -hmm. and the teacher still perform the same, no matter who was doing the observation, because we're just looking mm -hmm. at actions as facts and not an emotional reaction. And I had a manager one time that would say to me, please don't get distracted. And I laughed thinking like, well, that's kind of rude, but you know, like, what do you mean when I'm going in this classroom? And it was kindergarten. They're so flipping cute. Oh. And all the bulletin boards are just like Pinterest worthy. And what happened? 0.2 seconds into that room, distracted. <laughs> and it was the best advice because I was going in to think about how the student engagement was going. It was very student mm -hmm. or teacher led, which was appropriate for that mm -hmm. age, but we needed to find ways to get students doing more of the talking and engagement. And mm -hmm. I, I did, I was, it was, I was in love with it. And she was a strong teacher too, which a lot of people think they don't get observed and don't get feedback and just mm -hmm. the opposite is true. Um, and so I think when, when you go into a conversation, take out the, I liked this, that you did that mm -hmm. it's, when you did X, this is what happened. Why do you think that was? And I've started to ask so many more questions rather than telling them something, but they're leading questions because I know where I'm wanting to go with the conversation, which mm -hmm. kind of goes back to your idea of role-playing with yourself in the car. I can script it out. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important that you, you say to yourself, okay, I've looked at my notes for this conversation is my opinion anywhere in here or are these data, are these facts, are these things that actually happen? I could recite, you know, at minute 802, Johnny said this, you know, that kind of factual stuff is helpful for the teacher to feel safe with you because it's no longer, oh, she's really looking at all that's happening in the classroom and not like my outfit or that I told a funny story mm -hmm. or whatever. It's really rooted in instruction. And that's what makes that relationship feel okay. Like they're willing to show you more because they know how objective it is and it's not subjective. Yes. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, we do, whenever we focus on like and dislike that, or then we're focusing on, like you said, our own opinion, it's, and it's more about then teachers look for praise all the time. Yes. Um, and when you don't give the praise, they're like really kind of like, I'm just like with children. That's why we talk about growth mindset. Whenever we constantly praise, praise, praise children, um, about being so smart. And, you know, then as soon as something is challenging, they're like, Oh, I'm terrible at this. And I should just give up, you know? So, yeah. um, so yeah, we want to focus on the impact on student learning is, is this yep. being effective? Are kids learning? What is the kid's response to this? Um, and if, it, if they're, if they're responding well, then great. And if not, then that's whenever we can make adjustments, but it's not about whether we really like something or not. Yeah. And I think you can even flip it back on the teacher. You know, that reflection piece we were talking about mm -hmm. and the teacher starts saying, I didn't really like, and then you stop them and say, let's think about this. Is this what's best for kids? It's not about whether you liked it or not. Maybe it felt awkward to you to do it because it was the first time, or maybe the results weren't as strong as you wanted them. So you're help reframe their language yeah. too. Mm -hmm. So they don't feel like they're tearing themselves apart, giving themselves feedback. They're really zooming out looking at it with full perspective and, and able to say, okay, I see the, it's, you know, cause and effect here is really what mm -hmm. the focus should be and right. not who likes what, even counting the person doing it. Mm -hmm. Sure. 
So we're here today to talk about a strategy that coaches can use to guide their feedback and really to help guide their interactions with teachers around a coaching cycle or around their work together. So can you introduce us to that idea? Because I'm, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I had to create a rubric and we had one for our district. And as a teacher in the district that I was coaching in, I never understood the actions that I could take to move up levels in the rubric. It was all just very pie in the sky language. Uh -huh. And I was like, forget this rubric. Like I got mad because how am I supposed to help you grow if I don't even know the difference between the three and the four on the rubric? Like, mm -hmm. I, what does that look like? This is for, yeah. right, right. Like what is one thing I can do in this one lesson that will move me up? And when I would ask my admin about it, they're like, well, I don't know. You know, and they'd have to go searching through binders. And I'm like, this is not good, y'all, if we don't know what right. exactly it we're supposed to be doing. And so I had to start from scratch. And I, when I would observe, I'd say, this is a guide for me and a conversation with you. I am not going to rate you and, and put this in the system. This is literally language between you and I to talk through the levels mm -hmm. after I really sat and thought about what does this look like? And they were really thankful because they noticed how all over the place they would be in a rubric in one lesson. For mm -hmm. example, I have a rubric that goes from one to five, meaning novice to skilled. And there's domains across the side, like content mm -hmm. alignment, content knowledge, communication, lesson progression, behavior management, student ownership, student achievement, and differentiation. Those are just some of the big things that our schools were focusing on. Mm -hmm. So a then you fill it in. So uh, let's talk about behavior management. So it might go from misbehaviors are not addressed promptly and do not result in compliance. Well, that is very clear. That's mm -hmm. a one. But to go to a two, it's most misbehaviors are addressed promptly followed by compliance. So now I know, okay, the first one, there were misbehaviors, but no change was going to happen because they weren't really addressed fast enough. Mm -hmm. We're to a two, there's still misbehaviors, but it ends up in success, meaning compliance happens. So mm -hmm. now I know the difference very clearly between the one and the two, and it works its way up to your goal would be misbehaviors are prevented. So not even that mm -hmm. you're reacting to them, you're preventing them with clear expectations and engaging instruction. Mm -hmm. So the teachers can say, okay, during that reflection, I could leave the rubric and, and say, I'll score what I think you score it, you think, and let's come back together. And uh -huh. they'd have some fives and they'd have some ones. And I'd say, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm all over the place. I'm like, that's okay. Because this is the first time we really looked at a lesson piece by piece and mm -hmm. thinking, where are the leaks, right? And we'll attack those first because what happens with a domino effect, if you fix one piece of instruction that's important, which would be the only things on the rubric, it's not like have a, a cute bulletin board then that actually affects all the other areas. And so instead of feeling the overwhelm of, oh, I have three fours and I have one, two, and like, let's just go the lowest score and let's think about how we can fix that one. And each of the other ones are gonna slowly start bumping up because of your, your focus on just that one thing. And next time I see you, we'll take the next lowest one and we'll attack that until you are fours and fives consistently. And when they feel they are empowered with the evaluation tool, even though it wasn't an evaluation, it was literally our way to break it into action mm -hmm. steps to get better. They started to feel like, oh, like I could become a superpower teacher myself. Like 
here's the key to success. It's not whoever comes to observe me that day and how this child over here performs. It's really in my control. And they felt so excited to go through every lesson and say to themselves, where would I rank myself? Like there was no secret. It was, here's the path and here are the things we're focusing on. And here's what it looks like in very clear language to move subtle movements. It's not ineffective to effective. There's all these slight tweaks along the way to grow you and your skill set. And that was the game changer. And not only the partnership between us and the self-reflection on them, but having an observation actually result in better instruction. It creates clarity. Yes. It creates clarity in what you're looking for and in what it takes to be successful. And then that gives them specific actions that they can look at um, in their own teaching. So like if they were watching a video of their teaching, they could pinpoint evidence for each of these different items. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So do you ever develop rubrics for um, like a specific unit, like really specific ones or for specific teachers? Or do you use a general rubric that's just like about quality instruction? Yeah, I did a general one for quality instruction. We had rubrics for specific things like a literacy mini lesson, like very specific uh -huh. things that the school was working on. But in terms of an entire lesson, this okay. is just the generic one that I used. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. And how were the, you talked about you developed those rubrics as a response to the very fuzzy rubric that your district had provided, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I had some insight. So my experience is a little weird. I left my school district to work in my district, but not for them. It was a, a nonprofit that worked with all my same folks that I've been working with all along. I just wasn't under the district. So I had the knowledge of what the nonprofit was coming in. They told me, here's all the things the district knows they're weak in. So that kind of okay. guided my rubric because I knew what the long-term goals were. I don't okay. know if principals would tell teacher leaders that or not, but I think that would be the first place I would go and say, mm -hmm. I, I know you wrote your big plan and everything, but can you tell me in dull language, like what is it that you really want to fix this year? You really mm -hmm. want to improve. And that's the lens to which you adopt. Plus there's just, you know, great instructional practices that will never grow old, like behavior right. management, student ownership, um, student achievement. So I think those things will always be tried and true. And, and then as you get to know your teachers, especially for new teachers, this is too overwhelming of a rubric for them. Uh -huh. So we would just ha highlight behavior, manage behavior management, which is why I started there. Mm -hmm. That's something that is big for them. So mm -hmm. we blacked out the whole rubric except for that one row. And that was our goal to grow them in that area. And it was exciting for them when they would get a rubric and I had two rows. And then we went to some content alignment pieces and they're like, oh my gosh, I've grown. I can work on more things. And it's kind of like earning your way up the status. And I think that's another great way to say, uh, to prevent anxiety. You know, maybe if you have a teacher at a one or a two, then maybe block out the fours and the fives. Like, that's our goal. Yeah. But like, that's a little stressful thinking that you're so far when you look at the way it's written on the rubric, let's mm -hmm. just focus on the next row. What's our next action step. What do we need to do to grow and go from there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that. Um, and I, every principal I've worked with has an idea of where they want to grow. Sometimes whenever you actually see classrooms, you're like, okay, this is why they think that's a weakness, but there's like an underlying issue that's yes. maybe causing that as a symptom. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, everybody I've worked with has always said, I just really want my teachers to do this or based on one on the data, this is where we're struggling. So they may have, they have at least a starting point. And then what's been helpful to me is whenever I just do like a sweep of classrooms and then I can kind of blend that with what the principal says and sort of see what's happening yes. and then also add in data. So you have multiple, like, like a hodgepodge. Yeah. But it ends up giving you authentic data. Yeah. And a good picture mm -hmm. of where you want to go. And I would also say because of that and being a responsive coach is important every year, my rubric might adjust slightly depending mm -hmm. on what our focus is like mm -hmm. balanced literacy was a huge thing. So I might need to add a row specifically on that. Or you were asking before about like a rubric just for that mm -hmm. to ensure that that, that has so many moving pieces to help teachers get strong there. Um, and so please don't think just like teaching that you write one lesson plan and you'll use it the next 20 years, like mm -hmm. coaching, you know, I have to redevelop my coaching forms all the time based on the needs and that's okay, but it's a great baseline to say, mm -hmm. here's where we're going to go. And even throughout the year, especially with virtual learning right now, that's completely changed the game. I mean, I had to create a whole new rubric yeah. for classroom look fors, which is different than being physically in there mm -hmm. and debriefs because mm -hmm. a lot of the evaluation element came out based on what principals had told me, you know, so but if you have the basis of the idea behind a rubric being the force that helps lead to better instruction, then I think it's easy for you to tweak in the moment based on the needs of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And do you ever get like teacher input on building those? That's a great idea. So one teacher had told me um, like the formatting wasn't really her style. So I adjusted it to her. But in terms of what goes in the rubric, no, um, but what I like about your idea is we could say before we even use it, like mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year, I'm thinking, hey, I had created this rubric. I think it is, gives you more actionable steps to help you think about moving up the ranks when you do get formally evaluated. What do you think is missing here? And then uh -huh. they could literally write on it and say like, I want more details here or I want this next column to be about X, Y, Z. Like maybe technology would be a big one now. Um, so I, I like that you pushed me on that, that I should do more <laughs> teacher input because um, that's great for buy-in, right? Right. That's what I was thinking is, is I know that, I mean, it happens that it just certain situations, like you're saying, virtual learning this year, nobody really knew what that was going to look like. <laughs> yeah. And so it was like, hmm, let's, let's think about what this could be. And then I'll put together tools and, and then I can adjust them over time. But, yeah. um, but I'm thinking about, about buy-in with teachers and sometimes, you know, they're just like, well, here you coming and telling me one more thing that you think I right. should do. Yes. And so yeah, maybe having a little, even a committee, even if it's not like everybody, because sometimes that's not realistic or, or just yeah. the ones you're going to work with specifically once you initiate a coaching cycle. I like the idea of doing it in the pre-conference because that way everybody is on the same page and they've already given you some feedback and voiced their any questions or, you know, for clarity. Um, so that would be a really good time to do it. Yeah. Cause as a coach, we're partners, we are trying mm -hmm. to work together. So there's no reason that I'm coming in and here's my agenda. It's here's, here's the way I think it might go down in a structure that might help us. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. That would be really good. And I bet they'd appreciate that too. Mm -hmm. um, that sounds cool. So when is this strategy useful and can you use this approach with any coaching cycle or there, are there some instances that work better than others? Or is this pretty much like a broad tool that you can apply all the time? I used it as a broad tool, but as we've discovered in this conversation, I think there's <laughs> definitely ways to push it to be much more niche for the teacher that you're working with, because especially with some strong teachers, then there might be one area that they really want to hone in on and maybe oh, yeah. even 
if they're growing from a four to a five, which doesn't seem very far to grow, maybe they really want to dig deep and, and look at all the ways in which they can do that. Or maybe there's a struggling yeah. teacher who really, like we were talking about before, blocking out some of the pieces of this, or mm -hmm. there's a specific initiative, like we were talking about balanced literacy, and you got to create mm -hmm. something just for that. It's like a rubric that leads to the bigger rubric. So I would say, yeah, definitely needs-based. And I think our conversation today has already pushed this to being used even better. So I'm so glad we're hashing this out. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really cool. Um, because I think about like specific new initiatives that sometimes teachers are like, I am really having trouble envisioning what this looks like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that could be, I, I think the strategy of rubrics itself can be useful pretty much all the time. I mean, all the time it's, and you just kind of adjust how you, how you build it and how you, what goes in it and what the focus is and, you know, even yeah, how big it is. As a, as a teacher, I used to think a checklist which is what I wanted. I want you to tell me what to do first, then what comes, you know, right. I wanted the progression. And so I thought that was what a rubric was. And I would make it for kids for assignments. And mm -hmm. when I became a coach and they would say rubric, I'm like, okay, well, where's the list of things I'm looking for? And they're like, list. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, so a rubric helps really define to the degree to which right. you're being successful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the important part when we're talking about supporting teachers in their growth is it's not that you're not doing something because a lot of the times I'm partnered with someone like, well, I, I'm doing what they're telling me to do. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, that's no, it's no problem that it's not that you're not doing it. It's not why I'm here. It's because we got to do the way you're doing it a little bit better. And they're <laughs> like, oh, and I think that's where they feel attacked. It's like, you're telling me in an email that I need to do something and I'm doing it right. But yeah. now it's very clear what you are doing or what you aren't doing or the degree mm -hmm. to which you're doing it well. Um, and so to have the levels, I think is so impactful. Um, all those tiny nuances, those tweaks yeah. that you can make. And it's, there's no secret. Like I can't believe the amount of administrators who don't show the evaluation tool or don't talk about what they're going to yeah. look for in the observation. I'm like, we're here to help people get better. We're on the right. same team. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you want people to know what good teaching looks like if that's what you think it is? I mean, yeah. Actually, in Texas, they changed the evaluation tool a few years ago, and it was required that administrators provided sessions on the rubric because it was a very extensive, very extensive okay. <laughs> collection of rubrics. It was a lot. And teachers were like, what? I mean, it was what? a lot. And principals were like, oh, my gosh, I have got to take so many notes to be able to address all these millions of quadrants. Uh -huh. on it, was, it was a lot. But... Um, but they did at least have to provide training in that to teachers. Now, you know, different administrators roll that out differently, but right. they at least had, like they would show videos of what something looked like and then teachers would use the rubric to analyze what they saw in the video and then have dialogue about it. And that was a really good starting point to help people understand what they were going to be held accountable for. Yeah, and I think a great warm up could be, I'm gonna show you five minutes of instruction and it could be mm -hmm. you doing a mini lesson in someone's class. That way you're mm -hmm. not making fun of anyone that's decided that they'll volunteer right. and say, here's the rubric. I want you to score me and let's talk about what we think we see here mm -hmm. um, and try to get aligned with what is a three? What is a four? Yes, and, exactly. You calibrate. Yeah. And then, you know, they could use it when they do their learning walks to go mm -hmm. watch each other. And that's it's what I was going to say too. Yeah. We yeah, used to do instructional round. Can, um, 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not that you're going to grade each other, but it helps you see what all the different possibilities of each level look like with different yeah. style, different personality, different age of kids. Mm -hmm. um, and so it could really open up the discussion for quality instruction looks like mm -hmm. rather than you're a good teacher, you're not a good teacher. Right. And just having that bad culture. I mean, yes. culture of feedback and growth is essential. Mm -hmm. it, we used to do, and, that's, and it's such a good point, because we used to do the um, uh, instructional rounds using mm -hmm. different tools, and one of them was a rubric, and um, they were doing, well, the administration would do them with the depths of knowledge rubric, yeah. and then teachers would use different tools usually. Sometimes they would do those, sometimes we would do different things depending on our focus, but it was really helpful for develop, developing a common language, and mm -hmm. that is such a challenge on campuses because we all say, what we think we do, but it doesn't mean we don't know what that looks like in classrooms unless yeah. we get into classrooms. Right. So developing a common language is really helpful. And those common, those shared experiences that we can refer back to, it's really helpful. Yeah. And I think before you even go to the common language, it's mm -hmm. the common goal. Like, what are mm -hmm. we all here for? Looking We're here for to help yeah. kids learn. Mm -hmm. And then why do we go to professional development? So we can get better at helping kids learn. Mm -hmm. Well, why do we want a rubric? Because it's going to guide us on the things we should work on or focus on so we don't get, help go down all these rabbit holes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So what does a classroom visit or a coaching cycle look like when you're using a rubric? So I have a rubric with me on a clipboard generally when I'm popping in and out and I just write all over it. Like anything mm -hmm. a kid says to me or a work sample I see or an instruction a teacher gave, depending on, you know, we were talking before about a lesson progression or behavior management. So I try to gather all that data that I can right there and input it into the different boxes because that kind of okay. saves me time later on. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and then when I sit in the debrief, I literally, again, I'm not going to not show you this. I'm like, here it is. I had a lot of notes in level two but you did this really amazing thing in level three that I think the whole lesson is going to be average there or something. Then they can see my notes and see that it's authentic and see that I was really working the room. Uh, it should be a, a piece that you use, a, a tool that you reference. And I even have my debrief questions that I ask them to help keep the, the meeting going quickly and keep us focused on what matters most. And I have those to think, to guide me, to pull and look for pieces for that. That's why it's so essential before you go in, you know what you're looking for. Even if you don't have a pre-conference, that you at least know school goals and where the teacher stands in terms of their performance, so you know what their weakness is, what their strengths is, and it helps you hone in and just do a better job of pulling the evidence that you can in that short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it helps you focus on what you're looking for. Do you ever record uh, additional notes like sequentially or like chronological order or anything, or is it just on the rubric that you record everything? That is generally if it's like a quick pop in, but if I'm going to do a really okay. thorough observation, I'll have my laptop. I can just type a lot faster and okay. I can put timestamps in there of what things are happening um, or the iPad if I really want to walk around. Again, I, I, you got to know your teachers. You got to know what you're going to be in there for, mm -hmm. whether it's something quick or you really like, again, want to have access to the computer to, to you do a Word document or whatever you do to record your notes. So I've okay. done a little bit of everything, but I prefer the rubric, my guiding questions, a clipboard and a pen, and off I go. 
Okay, cool. So what does that debriefing or that reflective conversation look like when you're using a rubric? Is there like a structure that you follow? Yeah, I do generally structure them all the same. Um, they, they have the reflection. So I allow them to have time to kick off and say just quick ahas, but we'll go through the highlights and I'll then talk about the area of focus. Not that anything else that happened is not important, but I'm now setting the stage for what the rest of the conversation is going to be. Mm -hmm. And we connect it immediately to the eval because if I just say, Hey, so today I want to talk about improving your gut, your questioning with students. And then I just jump into something I saw. Mm -hmm. Well, then they miss out on the connection of why this is important. So that's when I point to the rubric and I say, remember how we're trying to grow this one area of critical thinking for students this is where I saw in the lesson the opportunity to push harder. Notice I didn't say it was lacking or you're weak. I said, uh -huh. this is an opportunity for us to go. This is the perfect lesson for us to push more here with the critical thinking piece. And here's where the evidence shows you were down here at this level too because you did X, Y, Z. You always called on the same student. You asked low level questions, whatever. Again, it's not I liked that you, it's here are the things I noticed during this one mm -hmm. snapshot. You could have done it later during math class, but this was the one time I was in there. Right. And here's where all my evidence is. Cause again, I show the rubric with all my writing. Um, and I said, but you did have a lot of threes and fours here. So that means you're, you have the foundation to push. You just got to get comfortable pushing students to think deeper levels. And that means maybe we script questions. So I thought today, and then we go into, let's do some planning for our next lesson. Let's do some practice of what it's going to look like. And then we'll close it out. So I've got, you know, the guiding questions. I've got my rubric with my notes and the conversation is always around that one area of focus. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Um, so what is, is there anything else that coaches need to know or to think about in order to implement this idea effectively? I just think it's all back to prep. You've got to know ahead of time what you want. So play around with one, make one based on what you think has been important. And then maybe run it through your admin and say, Hey, what am I missing? Or what do you think? Is this actionable enough? And then before you start using it, meet with teachers. Like you said, maybe there's a committee or maybe you do it during the pre-conference mm -hmm. and roll it out. And it's a document like a lesson plan that can adjust, it's flexible. But it, you know the core information is there for what to focus on. And then just get in the habit of, of using it, like your right or left hand. I mean, it's a tool to make you better. Why not use it? That's why I always have it with me. And it's always part of the dialogue like, oh, well, let's look at the rubric. Where would that fall? You know, you're always tying it back to this map of success is kind of what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so is there, are, do you have these rubrics available online anywhere that people could purchase or any oh, yeah. resource that would help them with this? Yeah, I have. You can definitely grab it. It's on TPT and we can share the link in the show notes. It's called Teacher Performance Evaluation Rubric and it's editable. So you can see okay. what I have, but you can also tweak it to, to meet your own needs. The key there is just thinking about what's the one area and flushing it out from one to five of what it looks like from poor, excuse me, poor performance to skilled. And then I didn't have one as a coach. Like, so I had to make my own for being available and communication and the debrief conversation and all mm -hmm. those things. And so um, that's a tool to help me grow and get better at that as well. So, you know, I think the idea of a rubric is so powerful if we don't make it such a scary, daunting thing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not final. It's not like a final grade. It's, <laughs> it's an ongoing um, focus for work. Right. So then if coaches only walk away with one idea from this episode, what should it be? Structure your support plan, whether it's, I'm going to, I'm going to write out an outline for this debrief conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to plan out my PD session. I'm going to script questions. I'm going to ask during my PLC. The preparedness is the best thing to be an effective coach. The more you work you can do behind the scenes to show up to the conversation ready mm-hmm. is going to be a game changer and, and have teachers be part of, like we were saying, allow them to give you feedback on it or allow them to score themselves using it or mm-hmm. allow them to have that reflection and dialogue and, and, and plan. When I say, okay, let's talk about what next lesson looks like. Tell me with the rubric, what actions you're taking. Mm -hmm. So to just have it become part of what you're doing. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. How can people find you online? Oh, find me at alwaysalesson.com. You've got all my social handles there. You can chat with me through email or the newsletter. That's my hub. That's my home. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah. I love chatting with you, all things coaching. And I'm so glad we got to talk about this and, and make feedback not so scary. Yeah, me too. Um, All right, coaches. So next week, my episode is going to be about how to find your voice in coaching and talk about the things that are, you know, that they're important, but maybe they're hard to talk about. And you're worried about maybe some backlash and you're worried about finding the right words um, to say what matters. But I have a really special guest who's going to chat with us about that next week. And I think it's going to be um, a really uh, challenging and and, uh, meaningful episode. So join us next week for that. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.